Good afternoon, class. This is your English teacher with this second edition of the Air Class English podcast in Second B. This podcast is dedicated to the extra reading task, which some of you uh, have, um, I hope, been working on, especially those wishing to take a specialist EDS English class next year. So, as I said earlier on, our topic in this podcast is the comparative study of two excerpts. And my idea is to help you become a future expert reader. By the way, I also think that this podcast might give extra background for your final grand cantoral research topic. So... Our first passage is from Moon Palace, which was published in 1988, and it's a novel, as you know, written by the American postmodernist writer Paul Auster, who was born in 1947. His novels blend different genres. For instance, as we've seen uh, with uh, the excerpt from the New York trilogy, a detective story that turns, in fact, uh, that turns out to be uh, an anti-detective one. His uh, idea is to convey uh, the sense of a meaningless quest of a world rule or governed by chance, mistakes and confusion rather than common logic. Besides, his writings are often metafictional, which means that the narrators are often writers talking about writing or laying bare the threads of their writing. In simpler terms, you can read about someone writing something and learn how this someone is building the story you are currently reading, only to learn in the end that the narrator has fooled you in the first place. Oster is a Francophile. He loves French. He speaks very good French. He is married to another famous writer, Cyril Hustvedt. His other novels include the New York Trilogy, of course, as well as Man in the Dark, published in 2008, which is, I must admit, one of my favorites. Maybe some of you could try and read it. As you know, Auster also wrote autobiographies and a screenplay. The second passage under studies an excerpt from Frankenstein, a famous 19th century Gothic novel by Mary Shelley. This novel, published in 1816, is also known as The Modern Prometheus. It tells the story of Victor Frankenstein, a scientist who succeeded in recreating a human being that turns out to be a monster. One day, the creature escapes the lab and tries to seek revenge on his creator for giving him but a life of misery, dejection or despondency, which means extreme sadness and no chance of happiness, of course. If you would like to know more about this famous novel, I found on YouTube a TED, T-E-D, Ed, T-E-D, then E-D, a TED-Ed video entitled Everything You Need to Know to Read Frankenstein. I absolutely recommend this video, and if you find it a bit difficult to understand, you may activate the subtitles, but only if you can't understand anything. Now, to our task in which I asked you to think about the notion of threshold. First, are these two texts related to one another? 
Well, apparently they are not, since they were written centuries apart. And they don't picture the same characters either. And yet, we can see them in a new light. Remember the concept of representation class? We can see them in a new light if we choose to consider how they illustrate the concept of threshold. That is to say, the passage from one place to another in the real sense of the word, as well as metaphorically speaking. Now, let's turn to a cross-analysis of the passages. At the door, the threshold marks the passage, the transition, if you wish, between the outside and the inside. I do find this idea particularly relevant here. Let me clarify, will you? In both texts, we can find an opposition between two spheres, two dimensions, two worlds. In our passage from Frankenstein, the narrator describes the beautiful landscape at dusk, or at sunset, if you wish. I'm quoting. The lovely scene of waters, woods, mountains. Only to emphasize the security and comfort he and his wife will find in the inn. Here is another quotation. They retired to the inn and contemplated the lovely scene. And this while a storm is brewing outside. The wind which had fallen in the south, now rose with great violence in the west. Suddenly, a heavy storm of rain descended. Oh, that's a very romantic motif here. I'm speaking about the genre, nothing to do with the kisses and, and hugs, you lot. The reader would expect the narrator to feel reassured once in sight. And yet... We learn that, quote, so soon as night obscured the shapes of objects, a thousand fears arose in my mind. I was anxious and watchful. Every sound terrified me. Spooky, spooky, eh? Well, that's how we are made to understand that the limit, or in B2 English, the boundary between the outside world under the storm and the room in the inn is fluid. That this limit is moving, that it is decomposing and gradually disappearing. Indeed, the world outside threatens to invade the inner sphere inside the hostel. Let me quote. I continued some time walking up and down the passages of the house and inspecting every corner that might afford or offer a retreat or a shelter to my adversary. The mood is thus set and the tension will gradually escalate, culminating, of course, in the killing of Victor's wife by the creature. Compare and contrast these lines. And all will be safe, on line 19, as opposed to the feelings that oppressed me. I felt a kind of panic on seeing the pale yellow light of the moon illuminate the chamber. And with a sensation of horror, I saw a figure the most hideous and abhorred, the face of the monster.
Another question now. Is this opposition, this division, this partition present also in the excerpt from Moon Palace? Well, it is indeed, but in different form. It is epitomized in the position between the park, Central Park, and the rest of the city of New York, but this time it is expressed in positive terms. Let me quote the narrator Marco Stanley Fogg, who after some time wandering through the streets of Manhattan as a mock explorer hobo, decides to climb the wall of the park for shelter. I slept in the park every night after that. It became a sanctuary for me, a refuge. There's no question that the park did me a world of good. What is striking here? is that once again the limits between the inside and the outside become blurred. Let me explain. What I mean is that even if the park offered the narrator, quote, the possibility of solitude, of separating himself from the rest of the world, the park is nonetheless central. It's called Central Park, right? And if it's central, it's in the middle of the metropolis of New York, right under the eyes of the skyscrapers around. And yet it's not exactly as such, because we can read, This was New York, but it had nothing to do with the New York I had always known. It was devoid of associations, a place that could have been anywhere. Well, class, I hope you can understand here the strangeness of a place that's described as both being in and out of the city, although it is called Central Park. Well, if it's central, it can't be anywhere. It must be somewhere in the middle, right? See what I mean when I talked about confusion in Paulster's writing? Don't worry, it's not a mistake from the part of the writer, of course. He just wants you to think. He wants his narrator to surprise us readers. I like this idea. Now, to my final point. What if there were another common point related to this idea of the shifting limits, of the moving limits? I'd like to explore here the concept of the I, that is to say the body part, and the I, the grammar pronoun, well, the pronouns are, representing the narrator. In uh, a Moon Palace, Marco says that in the streets of New York, there's a, quote, rigid protocol that the pedestrian, let's say the people, have to respect. If you play by the rules of this game, he says, people will tend to ignore you. There's a particular gaze. Aha, here we are. There's a particular gaze that comes over the eyes of New Yorkers when they walk through the streets. Odd gestures, weird gestures, of any kind are automatically taken as a threat. Again, if the narrator is trying to cut himself from the city, the idea of privacy is indeed Central. Central to him. There's, what is private is not supposed to be seen. At night, as well as in broad daylight, as we can read 
on page 57. I felt that it was blending into the environment, meaning that the park and the narrator were becoming one and the same thing. I felt that I was blending into the environment, that even to practice, uh, practice the eye, I could have passed when the picnickers or strollers around me. The streets did not allow for such delusions. And on page 58 we can read, in the park, I did not have to carry around this burden of self-consciousness. It gave me a threshold, a boundary, a way to distinguish between the inside and the outside. If the streets forced me to see myself as others saw me, the park gave me a chance to return to my inner life, to hold on to myself purely in terms of what was happening inside me. End quote. Let me recap. The park is a refuge in which the others won't see the narrator. But I think it's even more subtle than that, because for the narrator, it is the place where there are no eyes, okay? But he's, he's, there's still the, the narrator's eye. There's still the narrator's eye on his inner self, on his inner life. Again, we can see that the limits are not that clear-cut. In our passage from Frankenstein, the concept of the eye is key to the understanding of the passage as a gothic one, since we don't really know in the last paragraph who is watching whom. The idea of invasion, of contamination uh, even, is really important. Is it Victor staring at the monster firing at him with a pistol or is it the monster looking at Victor in the eyes to make him understand that he had had his revenge? Quote, a grin <laughs> was on the face of the monster. He seemed to jeer <laughs> as with his fiendish finger he pointed towards the corpse of my wife. Is it wrong to say here? That there's no more inside versus outside? Note the use of the terms fiendish or devilish or evil, remember? And the noun monster. Did you know that the word comes from the Latin word meaning to show? QED. Where's the limit between what can be seen and what is hidden, what is protected? What is unseen? And, by the way, is it a permanent limit? A threshold? A permanent threshold? Or only a temporary partition? What do you think? I'll let you do these questions. Hope you enjoyed this air class program. Of course, I was not expecting you to find out all this at first reading, so don't worry. That's all we have time for class today. Until next time, let's keep in touch. Tutti in casa, andrà tutto bene. Goodbye class, bye bye.